Now the sights of a drive in the Texas hill country, the wind of a dirt road, peaks give way to valleys, revealing a horizon bordered only by the hue of bluebonnet's beauty. Those rolling fields giving way to new beginnings. But along County Road 213 in San Marcos, there's one ranch where the sights don't quite evoke feelings of a fresh start. I mean, it takes a long time for the, the skeletal material to break down. Rather, it's what happens after the end that matters most. Before we continue a disclaimer, if you're eating or if the little ones are around, you may want to pause this episode for later as some of the descriptions may be a bit much for the squeamish. Don't say I didn't warn you. Welcome to Freeman Ranch, run by Texas State University, in all some 3,500 acres, space to study agriculture. Also, down a grassy path, secluded behind an iron gate, there's a field, miles from life as we know it, a soil-dusted 26-acre plot of Hill Country's finest. There's no need for boots. All right, let me put these on. Rather, protective booties are the footwear of choice. They just keep, in case you step in something you don't want to, it, it doesn't, uh, you don't bring it back to your car. Welcome to the body farm, where crops of corpses lay about. You know, if you're looking for a burial, you can see, you know, the depression and stuff, but you can also see the difference in the vegetation. It looks healthier. Yeah, oh yeah, it is definitely healthier. The voice you hear is that of Dr. Daniel Westcott. I am uh, a professor in the Department of Anthropology and the director of the Forensic Anthropology Center. Uh, this one, I think, has a little more soft tissue left on it. Bodies donated to science to study how we decompose. People sign up to be brought here after they die. Is it hard to get people to commit to uh, donating their bodies? Uh, no, actually not. We get about... <laughs> 70 to 80 donations a year. A figure that's climbing. Why, you ask? Well, you'll have to sit tight to find out. What's done at Freeman Ranch is far more useful than you'd think at ground level, per se. The corpses are textbooks at the center of a living, breathing classroom. Even teaching area police on what to spot if investigating remains. Uh, it makes everything a lot smoother. If they can look at something and say it's human versus non-human... So come take a walk with us through Freeman Ranch to find out what happens to us, naturally, after the end. I'm Brandon Walker, and this is Body Farm, today on the Eyes of Texas. I have really good teeth. Yeah. Things you notice. Our journey to the Body Farm at Freeman Ranch starts with a drive. A long gravel path brimming with brush, snaking past the barns and sheds of Texas State University's agricultural studies programs. Seems normal at first, nothing that would lead the imagination at least to what's to come. But after the drive comes a walk. That's when a stench does more than mark the spot. It slaps you. Not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Yeah. Dr. Westcott, the program's director, leads me on a tour, which begins with remains grouped in a corner in a field. They look more like a prop for Halloween than human, nearly fully decomposed. Yeah, they've been there about a year. The body farm at Texas State University started in 2008. A modest start then. 
though the number of bodies donated has grown big time. First year we had three donations and that jumped up to about 10 the next year. And then for the, but, but for the last five years or so, we've been right at about 70 or 80 donations a year. Each used for research. Dr. Westcott calls it decomposition ecology, the rates and patterns tied to how a body breaks down. The idea behind this then is, is to be able to take this knowledge and apply it to uh, medical legal cases to uh, estimate how long the person's been dead. So, and they do that by monitoring the environment in which corpses are kept. Some are placed in cages, which are maintained by graduate students like Laney, who's in her second year. It's tough keeping away the critters, like vultures, which can break down a corpse to its skeleton in as little as six hours. And they're all around here. And they're all around here, yeah. Texas, because of the cattle industry, has lots and lots of vultures, yeah. This is what happens when uh, animals are allowed to get in there. They pull out, pull out bones, so i got to put that back in there. Dr. Westcott and I watched as she did. In fact, the bodies that aren't caged are used to study how far a scavenger may take a limb, for instance. But wayward hands and feet are not the meat and potatoes here. It's the whole body that matters. What happens once Mother Nature runs her course? One of the things that you get, see the, the black ring around it? That's the cadaver decomposition island. And so that is the basically the internal organs and stuff that have kind of liquefied and they, and they drain out of the body. Eventually the soil helps to break everything down, making the soil rich in nitrogen and phosphorus, fertilizer for plants. Where the cadaver is placed matters too, be it in shade or sun time of year. It's important, affecting how long or how little it takes for a body to break down to bones. Looking at this, can you tell how long this body has been here to decompose? Uh, yeah. Um, you, you can get, that's, I mean, that's part of what we're doing is trying to get some general ideas of, of what's going on. So this one has been, was actually placed in the winter, so it's a little slower, but it's, um, but this has been here since December. I'm looking at this, this, this corpse, and I think potentially an older person. Yeah, most of our donors are older individuals. As we traipse the turf in what felt more like a trapeze stunt walking around the plethora of bodies, it became more apparent the stages of decomposition, from those recently placed, looking more human-like, of course, to those that have been there for a spell, downright skeletal. It takes a long time for the skeletal material to break down. Once a body fully decomposes, its skeleton gets processed in a lab. That's what you hear. Bones in a box. There's much research to be continued after collected from the field. Bones are cataloged by students who, like Michelle, then make sure they're kept up. Um, I'm just cleaning the bones before they get put on the table and laid out in anatomical position. From there, the students study a variety of things factors that could lead to an ID, age or time of death if unknown. As for that latter point. So this is the entire two section right here. Seems teeth hold a clue. This is the outer layer of the root that you're, you know, you see. That's Mary Swearinger, another student at the helm of a microscope, scope and teeth. Magnified by how many times? Um, so this is magnified at 10x. What does it tell you? 
it, it's depending on the outer band, whether it's dark or light, tells you whether they died in the spring or summer or fall, winter. And so that's pretty dark. So Mary, what, what does that tell you? So if you see a dark band, this is going to be that outermost surface of the tooth. If it was a bright band, you would assume that that would be a spring or summer season of death. So it gives you a time frame of when that person potentially died. Scientists are still working to answer why there's seasonal discoloration, which also offers a clue to a person's age. Think of it as rings to a tree. If you see a dark band and a bright band, that's supposed to be one year of that person's life. Some of what students learn is then passed on to law enforcement statewide. All right, looks good. With organizations taking part in a week-long program designed to teach crime scene investigators how to spot human remains. Closer to the knuckle end. The body farm turns classroom for cops. That's next on The Eyes of Texas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's a bit of a cult following to cold cases, have you noticed? TV programs, podcasts, with a flair for the forensic. Plot lines ripped from the headlines. Bones found in a crawl space of a home in the Heights back in March. But to whom do they belong? It's true. Cold cases pique interest, in part because of how inhuman they seem, despite the obvious irony of the matter. But perhaps it is that irony, the fact that we're talking about mysteries surrounding a human that's at the core of this public appetite. Police work does come with its share of CSI cold cases to investigate. What you hear is an indicator of that. Tissue. Tissue from the human body, uncovered as part of a lesson. The sternum's just there, can we take it out, or we just we still want to leave it there? You want to leave it there. Still... Here, a group of detectives from across Texas find themselves dust-covered, huddled in burrows, sweeping away soil. They're unearthing mocked burials as the scorch of the Texas sun barrels down upon them. They do so as part of a special program at Freeman Center. Sifting through dirt as they learn to tell which fragments are human and which are not. In my untrained eye looking at this, I would just think, okay, it's just a bunch of soil. Well, a lot of it is. It's a bunch of soil and rock, so... It's like trying to pick out, you know, the stuff that's not, that actually goes to it. Dr. Westcott, he keeps it very matter-of-fact. Deciphering what may be bone fragment and what may not be isn't easy, as one detective found out, discussing whether something he found was part of a rib. So we don't know which one we found. He talks it over with one of the Texas State students turned instructors for this special program to train law enforcement through the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement. Just cartel, we can take it though. 
The week-long course covers the basics, anatomy, factors that impact decomposition, how to search for remains. The goal isn't quite to prep for a what-if. Truth be told, says Detective Billy Bollard from the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, they respond to calls like this more often than you'd think. We, we do get those calls. So we have better recognition, and then this, you can't get any practical experience until it happens, so here you do. Three to four clusters of classes stayed busy. When you are sifting your soil, do you do it in your unit or do you do it off-site? Off-site. Including quizzes. To be outside of the boundaries of your unit. Solid. 100 so far, guys. The hands-on training is invaluable, says Christopher Dees, an investigator with the Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office. And the emphasis looking at you guys doing this, it's not easy. No, it's hard work. It's hard work, but um, it's to the benefit of society and obviously to the families um, to try in a real crime scene scenario to recover as much information as possible, to document as much as possible, to give us the context of what happened. Um, and you can only do that if you're using the techniques that we're learning here today. So The bodies out in the elements at the ranch are all being donated. Inside, in a lab, there are other remains recovered here in Texas that tell a different story. So this lab um, really serves two main purposes. One the first, as you've heard, donor bodies, they're processed after they've decayed. The bones get brought in and stored for future research. The second purpose? This is where we do um, uh, analyses of, of border crossers. Migrants looking to cross the U.S.-Mexico border but don't make it to their final destination. Those who die while en route. The program is called Operation Identification. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol puts the number of migrants who died somewhere along the border at 294 for fiscal year 2017. Numbers for 2018 haven't been published yet, and some suspect the actual numbers may skew higher. They go down and recover remains. Uh, we bring them back here. We do the, they do the analyses and all that stuff. Clean the clothing and all the artifacts and stuff that are associated, you know, shoes and all that stuff gets cleaned up, it gets photographed and put up on a website. And if we get enough information from the families about, oh, you know, when we last saw him or her, he had on, you know, that shirt and he always wore these shoes or something like that, you know. And are these actual items from someone who perished? While yes, crossing? yes. This right here is from one person that, that this was, that was what was found with him. Wow. I mean, it's... Um... And then the coins a lot of times give you an idea of, like, where they're coming from. Sometimes a migrant has a note detailing who they are, where they're going, where they're from. Some have IDs from their native country. Some, but not all. That's why shirts, shoes, anything the person had on them matters. The cliche is putting a face to a name, but, I mean, essentially, that coin or that watch there could potentially do just that. It's exactly what it's going to do. And most of our identifications start out that way. Some identifications, Dr. Westcott adds, have been successful. I think they are up to about 30, 35. Here, I'll give you an idea of what we're up against, though. Behind another locked door, storage space, floor-to-ceiling shelving with boxes packed on each. These are all unidentified border crosser skeletons. Remains of migrants stowed away. Their names, for now... Case numbers. I don't even know where to start the count. Uh, there's a couple hundred of them. People who may never be identified. 
They'll keep trying to do so, though. After all, that's the point of Operation Identification. No matter where you're at on um, you know, immigration, I think everybody can agree that you know, if somebody dies, their families should be able to know what happens to them. As our tour wrapped, Dr. Westcott and I walking about the burial site, my thoughts shifted to why. Why does the body farm project at Texas State exist? Why do people donate their remains? A lot of people, it's because they want to be useful after they've died, and they want to continue to educate people. So we get a lot of like law enforcement, a lot of uh, teachers, people like that, that, that donate. At the backdrop, there's human curiosity. We have this seemingly insatiable desire to know about death. What happens to us after the us as we knew it is no more? That question and what it means for the physical being is what they work to cultivate at the body farm. Many thanks to Dr. Westcott, students, and staff at the Freeman Center at Texas State University for having us at the ranch. And by the way, if you've wondered, yes, Dr. Westcott, he's always had a thing for bones. When I was a kid, I used to go around and pick up animal skeletons. Yeah, and that curiosity led him to an anthropology class in high school. By college, he was hooked. You'll find images from our body farm tour on our website, click2houston.com slash eyesoftexas. Remember, they are graphic. Let us know if you've got a good story you think will make for a great podcast. I'm Brandon Walker. Be sure to join us next time as we go traveling Texas together. Together.